What's going on, Orlando City fans? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Rushnow, and today we will be reviewing the 2-1 Inter-Miami win. Before we get started, I'd like to, or well, it's an Orlando City win over Inter-Miami. That just, that just didn't work, but we'll stick with it. 2-1 win over Inter-Miami. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Cappy's Subs. You can order over the phone at 407-647-9099 or online at cappyssubsfl.com. All one word. Adam is back. Where are they located? Cappy's located at 501 North Orlando Avenue in Maitland, Florida, not Winter Park. Make sure it's not Winter Park. Make sure to leave a five-star review as we will be reading them out on the podcast. And with that, Daniel, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very good. I was just listening to um, Adam geek out about RPG podcasts, and I found an alien RPG one. because I've got the alien RPG downstairs. And uh, I'm currently downloading that, so I'm extremely happy. Now, guys, if you just heard Daniel there, and his audio is a little rough, uh, got that little annoying noise that we can hear, at least. I don't know if you guys can hear it just yet. But uh, I will try and fix it in the edit, but he does not have his microphone with him today, so we're just going to have to deal with it. Um, I just won't go to him as much, and hopefully we can just like <laughs> not talk to him at all. Uh, he doesn't provide good takes anyway, so you know it's not talk that big of a loss. Guy. <laughs> exactly chase how you doing tonight i'm doing good uh i don't know how to follow daniel was getting absolutely torn to shreds but i'm doing all right it's listen it's it's i just let i let the prayer come to me do what you gotta do and then when you're not looking i will be back all right you've been talking <laughs> okay. enough okay you've been talking long enough adam how you doing tonight it seems i've been replaced by like daniel's ghostly electronic teapot um so not that happy no <laughs> Uh, good to be get, good to be back, y'all. One thing we can all be happy about was the two one win, and I'm I'm actually gonna go to Daniel first. I'm gonna go to my boy. Uh, I want to get your overall thoughts on the game, and remember, keep it short. Screw you. <laughs> yeah, just give me your overall thoughts on the, thoughts on the game, the performance, all of that. Uh, um, let, let's just dive straight in. Yeah, in a nutshell, um, I thought we got the lineup spot on for the game. Um, it was a good. Uh, battling 2-1, you know, result in Orlando's favour. And um, those are the games that, you know, if you're going to be a successful team, you've got to grind them out, especially when you've got the emotional factor involved. Um, I think this rivalry with Miami is developing quite nicely. It feels certainly more natural. And uh, these are the games where, you know, there can be a leveller a little bit. You know, you have a team in Miami that's only won one game and you would think it's an easier one, but they made it very tough and I thought, the Orlando players showed a lot of uh, craft and character and and certainly some guile as well to to get ahead and get the win. I was really quite happy with it. Yeah, this this was a, a, a good performance from both teams, in my opinion. A very physical battle, like you said, which we will talk about here in just a second. And also just, yeah, an, an even game, a game on the margins. Uh, we won the game on the margins, which I really like because I feel like, you know, last season we would be tying the game on the margin so I, I was happy with our performance uh miami i feel can be happy with their performance after some 
I've watched a lot of Miami games just because I try to keep up with every team in MLS and just watching them implode the season has been very interesting to me uh, just from from an outsider, but also a team kind of invested because, you know, I am a host on MLS Now podcast, quick plug, and uh, also just because there are rivals now. Uh, I want to I want to see how they play and then just throughout every single game, they just look bad. They just look poor and then they come against us and they seem to be. Uh, and even to us, uh, not maybe an even, but but it's a very close match, a lot closer than than maybe some of the other ones. Like um, their matches against Nashville, they lost and they tied, and then against Atlanta, they won one and they tied one, and just they play us better than anybody else thus far. They're really up for these matches. No, totally, I agree with that. I think it's um, we got the the selection right, the two battlers in midfield and. Um, you know, to, to contend with their, their midfield, sort of attacking midfield three. I think that Oscar got his tactics completely spot on for this. He, he knew it was going to be a scrap, so he got all the scrappy players in there. And, uh, you know, it was it was certainly well suited for the occasion. Now, yeah, let's let's go straight into to the next point I wanted to talk about that you just brought up, physicality of the game. Chase, I personally loved the physicality of the game from our team, especially, I feel like we've been pushed around a lot, you know, for too long in this league, we've been pushed around. Uh, refs don't respect us. Teams don't respect us. And, and we'd never fought back. And today, I mean, man, we fought back. You, you saw your, your, uh, doppelganger, Rodrigo Schlegel going absolutely berserk on Carranza. Um, Pereira gets pushed by Andres Reyes. And what does Mendez do? Shoves Rodolfo Pizarro straight into Jorge Figal Gets them in the chin. Rodolfo Pizarro, obviously not happy. I would have been pissed if that had not been called. Uh, and he gets a yellow card for dissent. I mean, there are multiple instances of it. We were physical. They were physical. What did you think of the the overall physical nature of the game? Yeah, I mean, physicality and hostility are just expected in soccer, I feel like. And, and there have been times where, like, maybe we don't necessarily uh, kind of stick up for ourselves, I guess, and kind of hold our own. And, you know, we had we had players in there that were kind of up for it. And I'm not necessarily an advocate of just games devolving into, you know, just just merely like shouting and, and pushing whatever. But, you know, when it comes time, we have to kind of be ready to to hold ourselves up because this sport is equally as much of a, a mental battle as it is kind of a technical and a tactical battle. And if we're allowing ourselves to be pushed around and, and, and things like that, we're going to kind of. Uh, put ourselves in a position where we can be taken advantage of. And yeah, like like Schlegel for the entire game, particularly in the back half, like he did a lot of the uh, non-soccer things, I guess, that some people might have an issue with. But I didn't personally see anything overly wrong about it. And yeah, like Mendez as well. And, and you know, we got some big body players in there. And it, it's good to see us, you know, not allowing ourselves to be, you know, looked over and, and, and holding our own. Yeah, uh, and... Adam, what it's what it seems to be turning out into this season is other teams noticing that we are very good with the one touch passing, with the one touch movement or the uh, the movement after the pass, and and we're just passing around teams. And so, what do they do? They start taking us down. Uh, and you know that that's a good strategy to have against a team that is is so good as at passing and creating through possession as we are. Um, but then. 
when you are the team getting taken down, not only do you have to fight back and, you know, stand strong and not be be weak like that. That's something that kind of hurt Arsenal uh, a long time ago is they had all these skillful players. They can pass and move and be so good, but they just they didn't stand up for themselves. They were looked at as weak from from refs, from from rivals. And and, you know, teams would kind of bully them around the park. We cannot let that happen to us. And it seems we're not. And also, when you are the team getting fouled, you have to take advantage of the set pieces you are given. And, I mean, let's talk about the first goal. We, You could see it as lucky. You could see it as, a, as um, fortunate that Robles takes the step at the right time and it hits off of Rea's legs because he doesn't see it. But at the end of the day, that ball from Maurizio Pereira was a dime. So there's not a lot to talk about the goal but more, I want to hear your thoughts on how important it is to take your your chances when you are given the set pieces because of the way that other teams are starting to play us. Yeah, it, it, set pieces are a low percentage proposition to begin with, uh, but you don't want to waste them because when, uh, when you start to get a lot of them, if you're getting fouled a lot, like Orlando was in this game, particularly the style of play we have creates a lot of fouls if a, if a team is playing, is pressing a lot and being really aggressive. Uh, and then you, it's really great to have guys like like Mauricio Pereira and Nani who can put in those dimes and just honestly set piece goals. If you're not going to absolutely snipe it in, like Nani almost did when he he uh, actually Nani almost did it twice. He had one that if it was a little more on the left side of the goal to the far post, it would have beat Robles, and he had Robles beat once off the top of the bar, uh, and uh, and just went bar north instead of bar south, but. Unless you're going to absolutely snipe it like Nani sometimes does, your goal is to be Mauricio Pereira. I mean, in many things in life, your goal is to be Mauricio Pereira. (laughs) Your goal is to be Mauricio Pereira and just put in as dangerous a ball as possible and aim to create chaos. It's, I don't think it's that much more unlikely to, you know, put that ball in the no man's land kind of and just hope for a bounce in than it is to try to pick out someone's head in a mass of like, 14 16 18 players you know that then try to pick out like like antonio carlos's head and have him headed in and beat the keeper directionally. like that's a hard thing to do to just like bank your probabilities on that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so honestly it, and like even to another extent like when prayer and nani are out chris Mueller can still do the same thing not with quite as much consistency but they're all capable of putting that arc on the ball in with good pace and just letting it bounce around and maybe something happens. And that's how that goal was created. Um, and you have, you have to factor that in to kind of like, I'm not saying ex- uh, expected goals as in like the stat. Uh, I guess this is kind of how the stat works and how you understand it, but I'm not like, you know, 2.3 XG or whatever, but the, the expected amount of goals that you might score off of set pieces over a season is it, it with the quality of delivery that goes up Almost regardless, you kind of add in the the things you create by chaos um, with the things that you might create by, you know, the you draw it up like beautiful cross in, finds a head, direct it toward the far post. The, the goals count the same and you kind of expect to get both of them. And so it, when you're when you're a player style that creates a lot of those free kicks, you need to have a guy that can make something out of them. And luckily enough, we have three. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, who are the three you're mentioning? You're you're talking Mueller, uh, Nani, and Mueller, Pereira, Nani, right? and Pereira, yes. Yeah, so I find it very interesting that Mueller is starting to take 
corner kicks. Do you think this is this is my uh, theory he's got a on sweet it? Right foot. Well, my theory on it is that sometimes coaches will put you know players who are put into positions to cross the ball a lot, and while they are good technically, they're not amazing at crossing. They'll put them on corners to practice uh, in game, putting the ball into a dangerous area. Uh, and do you think that is part of it, or do you think it's just Chris Mueller has improved vastly under uh, Pereja and uh, just he trusts him on corners and he's got a good delivery? I don't think Chris Mueller ever had a bad delivery. We forget he was an assist champion in college. He led the the NCAA in assists as a striker, and and so uh, that he he's he's never been bad at kicking the ball. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. you know, like his left foot has been weak. His left foot has improved dramatically, but he's always had a pretty sweet right foot. And he's always been able to put, put curve on it, kind of put it where he wants it to go. His where he's improved has been his decision making, his dribbling a little bit and uh, and kind of his skill moves. But like just that right foot, he's always had it. So I, I think that um, maybe he wants, um, you know, Nani and Pereira sitting back there case the ball drops to them for them to start an attack rather than have it fall to like Sabas Mendez. You know, I love Mendez, but you'd rather have, have the ball at Nani's feet than Mendez. So if he can take, if he can take Mueller to give that, that good delivery and he, if he's capable of it, then after the kick, he just slots into that right wing position because it's like 10 yards away from him. And then you have Nani and, and Pereira centrally instead of having one of those guys all the way out on the wing. Yeah, so I think, I think that has more to do with it than trying to get him practice. And it's always good. You have a young player that's emerging. It's always good to just give him a little bit of responsibility that he's capable of doing to kind of establish his place in the team a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, actually. Uh, you've you've turned my whole theory around right there in a, in a one long sentence. Um, glad to be back. Gonna, <laughs> yes. Glad to, be, glad to have you back. Uh, I'm going to go to my tactics man here, Daniel, for this question. Uh, Alonso has switched up his tactics against us a lot. If you go all the way back to the first game, um, he had a very defensively set up team, which worked until Reyes got the injury uh, because of Dom Dwyer. And he brought on Rodolfo Pizarro and we were the better team after he took off of a defender. Uh, the second game, uh, again, kind of defensive, but very, very direct on the counter. And uh, he had Lewis Morgan. And this is kind of where I'm going with this. He had Lewis Morgan pushed up on the wide right, a very pacey player sitting behind the space that uh, Kyle Smith left. And then in this game, he has Blaze Matweedy in there starting, so he feels a little bit more confident uh, not sitting as as deep and is willing to push forward and try and create through possession, but also trying to create through transition plays mostly. Um, how big of a deal was it? Do you think having Kyle Smith in instead of Joao Moutinho, I think it helped because Lewis Morgan killed us as a right winger uh, getting in behind Moutinho, but also Alonso did change him in this game from from an outside winger in the second game that we played against them to an more of an inside forward role, kind of similar to what Mueller plays. So do you think it was more Smith being there kind of forced Alonso to to change his game plan with with Morgan? Or do you think it was it was just Alonso just 100 percent changing it? I think it was um, I think it was by design for sure. You know, I think we've. 
I think that's probably still our weakest area in the team when Moutinho is no longer available. So he probably did highlight Smith. He probably knew that, you know, Smith is not going to really commit that far forward. He felt that he could maybe isolate Morgan against him and therefore, you know, try and get some, some leverage on that right-hand side. And then if you notice, um, that game plan kind of came undone at the beginning of the game because you had Ben Sweat coming up all the way off that left flank at the beginning of the game. You know, we've dragged, Miami dragged all their play over to the right to create space for um, for Sweat on the left. And after six minutes, they took him off because he got the injury. And then, of course, they brought in uh, Ambrose, who didn't really contribute. And then they made another sub at half-time. Um, I can't remember the chap they brought on now. I'm just going to look at my lineup again. But, um, <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> you know, I really like a bit of Breck first on the morning because um, it gets the day started off nicely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do know what you mean. Yeah, but in, in any case, look, they put that other guy on there. You know, the one that looks like he's got custard on his head. And um, anyway... They they looked like they wanted to to kind of stretch the play out to the right and then come you know and then try and expose one a little bit as well on the left and, and push the other guy up and it was an interesting game plan but it was it was um, certainly by design if you ask me they wouldn't have been able to do that with Moutinho playing because although they would have gotten some joy on that side of the field I think we would have seen um, you wouldn't have seen Janssen getting rested you would have seen Moutinho pushing further on and then Janssen at the back. And, and in this game, they, they took, took advantage a little bit of Schlegel and Smith and, and kind of thought, well, hang on a second. This inside right channel is our weak link, so let's try and isolate one side of it and then try and attack on the left where we get a bit more space because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I, I noticed how compact Orlando kind of remained in defence, like they were dragging each other along, like they were all uh, attached by a rope together and, and dragging each other across to one side of the field. So mm-hmm. certainly by design, for sure. All right. Uh, kind of moving on in the second half. Uh, like I just said, Alonzo like to switch things up. He makes two changes at halftime after already previously making one. Um, he brings on uh, that that guy who we can't all remember. And um, a defender, Dylan Nealis. I believe he's a right back that they drafted. Uh, so two, while they are defenders, attacking changes. And he just he just went gung-ho he was sending sending attackers forward chase i just want to get get this question out of the way now because miami do score the goal why can't we keep a clean sheet like what is what is going on i know i know teams are sending bodies forward and but to me we have a a very good defense but we can't keep the ball out of the back of the net for for a full 90 minutes what's going on there I think part of it is a slight inability to defend across at times. Like, you know, off the top of my head, like the Miami game, the Atlanta game where we drew, uh, you know, it was just Portland maybe game. Not, yeah. Portland game as well. Just, yeah. Portland, it, it was eventually our demise after we gave up too. like, um, we just, it, that's kind of becoming like a big issue in the game and, and, uh, whether that's, you know, Brexhay kind of was a little bit unmarked maybe. I think when the ball was served in, Antonio Carlos was kind of uh, wise to him, I guess, and, and, and tried to try to win the header and he wasn't able to. But, you know, there are some guys where they were just kind of marking space 
uh, in the box, but kind of closer to Rodolfo Pizarro. And uh, I think it was Nani and somebody else. And, and, and Breck Shea just, just was a little bit free. And, and you know, uh, um, among other things, he's, he's quite tall. And uh, that doesn't always mean that you're good in the air, but he's, he's okay in the air. Like, he, he's just – he's not poor. He's not great as – you know, he's not really great at really anything in his game. But, but just overall, like, I, I don't know. It's just for some reason we just seem to give up a goal every game. Like, uh, I think Evan Weston even said it. It's just – for like, I think the yeah, I was looking it up real fast. The previous five games, we've just managed to to give up one goal and and not keep a clean sheet, and and maybe that's defensive lapse of concentration. Like if you look at Kamal Miller, like people were kind of hounding on him a little bit, and and you know some of it was decently kind of right to do so, I guess. Uh, you know, he lost his man, and, and and just ultimately, I think teams maybe are a little bit more clinical coming up against us because we hold the ball a lot, and. When they're able to attack, we oftentimes will kind of have fullbacks pushed up. Our center backs will often kind of step into the midfield and things like that, which, uh, you know, is just akin to our style. But at times it can leave us just a little bit um, open at the back, I guess. But we don't get punished too much because we are typically the team that kind of impose our will in the game. But, um, yeah, it, it is, you know, like I said, it's just kind of various issues that, that, that we are still struggling with. Um, you know, luckily we aren't really getting punished for it too often, but yeah, it would be nice to keep more clean sheets, but you know, we just gotta, I think it's something that not that we have to accept with the way that we play, but it is just a bit of a symptom with the way that we play because we like to get our fullbacks up. You know, like I said, our center backs have a lot of responsibility on the ball, not even just kind of playing out of the back, but sometimes dribbling the ball forward and stepping up and, and, and playing almost kind of like an auxiliary midfielder, just, just at small portions of the game, but that can sometimes leave us available for, for counterattacks. And yeah, just a big issue that's kind of been a theme this season is inability to deliver or to uh, defend crosses, set pieces, anything of the sort, much like, you know, we, we seem to be fairly efficient uh, on our own end from kind of scoring from crosses and dead balls, but we're just not able to defend them. And, you know, that's, that's something that, we have to work on and, and particularly it kind of falls on our, our center backs just a little bit because those are the guys that you'll look for to, to command the air and, and we haven't maybe done a good enough job uh, in that department thus far. Yeah. And also I do think it's a good cross from Pizarro and it, oh, to yeah. be fair, it's a good header from, from Breck, but for me, Adam, this might be harsh, but I did not like what I saw from Galese on the goal. I think if he That's has harsh. himself, I it might be harsh, but I think if he has himself set, has himself set, and he jumps, he can reach that without turning his hips and trying to run at the ball. I I I think he should have jumped for it instead of tried to run for it and turning the hips and and that slows him down and and he's behind the ball at that point and he can't get there. I think that Here's the thing with about with his quality that's a savable that is a savable goal. I don't that was very far left. It was all yeah, like yes. way on the left side of the goal. If he has himself set though, he sets himself and and jumps, which he can do very quickly. We've seen that. He I don't think there. he gets all the way over there. I don't think he, I, he if he if he could have he would have. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he just made the wrong decision to when, to turn well, his no, hips he went the right off. way. It, no, no I'm not saying he made the wrong decision when you're defending a header. So he's 
in the center of the goal. And I think you're underestimating just how hard of a save this is. And yes, he's technically capable of making it because he's a really fucking good keeper. But when you're defending a header and you have no idea which way it's going to come off of the head and you just have to plant yourself in the center of the goal and make a pure reaction save and it goes all the way to either post, that is one of the hardest saves that's conceivably savable, but it's one of the hardest ones to make. So I I don't knock him too much for not making that save, honestly. Especially since it, it was it was hit high, it was a little bit looping, it had a little bit of pace on it. Like it, it's not it's not it is technically savable because a human being could conceivably get there if they make <laughs> the exact right read and have the perfect jump and he got his fingertips on it. But that was all that was ever going to possibly happen. And it still could have went through his fingers and in. So, yeah, I, I, I'm look, I'm not trying to find somebody to, to blame for the goal. Cause honestly, you could probably say this is one of those blameless goals. Almost it's a good cross. It's a good header. I don't know. I'm, Maybe maybe it is harsh, but I, I just feel that he did not need to turn the hips. He could have jumped after it. And and if if it's too far away from him, so what? I would have rather seen him jump after it than try and try and run after it. He he ran and then he jumped. It, he and he did that because he knew he couldn't make the jump. But then let me ask you this. Why doesn't he shuffle and then jump? Take one shuffle step jump. I don't know. It's what he did. <laughs> Oh, he knew I he just, could make the jump. <laughs> I just that was the only that was my only if issue. If the shot goal. is hit so that a single jump cannot get you there, it is an extremely difficult save. How about that? Yeah, that's like, fair enough. Give a little bit of credit to Rekshay. Like, that was a good goal. No, yes, it, yes, it, it's a good header. It's a very, very good header. It's into the corner. It's yeah. hard to get your headers that accurate. I will agree with that. So I think this is more of a Brecce scored a good goal than Galese let one in. Fair enough. Fair enough. Two point. Fair enough. Two point Adam. Jeez. Keep putting my ideas down. You Tired love me. I hate you. Uh, back to you, Daniel. Uh, you get the second goal for us. Nani plays the ball in. It gets deflected. Uh, Chris Mueller. I want to get your thoughts on that part of the goal specifically. Because I have an idea, but I want to hear your idea first on just Chris Miller's part overall. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Just his movement was um, was extremely good. Like he um, he's starting to he's starting to cut in a lot more now and connect in in the middle of the field a little bit more, and it's good because I I kind of felt you know previously Mueller might have been a one trick pony where he would just he would get the ball he would routinely try to kind of jinx the defender and, and get towards goal, but he's now just finding other little ways to create and he, he, he cuts inside, he takes the, de- the defensive player away from whoever and then um, he plays that reverse pass and, um, you know, and it's it's, uh, it's good good progressive play and then he um, you know, he, he obviously takes a bit of a, a tumble when he uh, gets into the into the ball into Pereira, but it was just, it was just good movement and I just watched the movement of the entire sort of like front four or five, and it was it was extremely nice to watch. I thought this is uh, this is what chemistry looks like, you know, in real life. It's uh, just movement off the ball play and giving giving difficult decisions for 
you know, for the opposition to think about. And having been used to a team that looks so static before, we now have all these little, like these little bees just buzzing around, and it's just really good, good to watch. It's it's testament. Um, I was telling a friend of mine that, you know, Oscar Prayer might be the first coach we have who's who's genuinely got these guys doing these drills and coming up with these patterns of play because you can you can see it producing on the field almost every week now. Yeah, um, what I had in my mind, which good point on the movement, it's very good movement, uh, shows great chemistry. What I had in my mind was he was faced with a decision that he had to make a split-second decision. He had no time to think about it, and then he made the right one. And we have, and we, I, I will, I will continually go back to decision making because it is such an important part of an attack and, and a team overall. But making the right decision in attack can be the difference between a goal and a corner kick and a goal kick and and a win and a loss. And and he gets again. He faces a split second decision. The ball comes into him. He he fires it out to to Pereira. Perfect ball into his path. And and then Pereira. Um, hammers it home a a brilliant near post finish I mean most players in that position will go far post and I don't think Robles was expect expecting Pereira to go near post and he he just pulls his shot in it curls towards the post and hits off the post and goes "Mm, it was such a gorgeous goal uh, in terms of the finish I mean we have to Daniel and this is going back to you we have to re-sign Pereira I, I think we have to I think it is at least to if he doesn't want to stay i don't know if he if he doesn't want to sign a long-term contract i say i should say not he doesn't want to stay at least one more year we we can't let this go well you got to learn from history and um, when you have a good player on your books who's producing then you need to try and make them feel like they're valued and uh, they should really push the boat out now and, and and try and get him at least for one more year i don't know what his plans are and um you know the impression you get is that he he doesn't intend on being here like too long, you know. But he might, he might feel compelled to do one more year. But you're gonna have to pay him. You're gonna have to pay him what he's worth because he's got plenty in the tank for another team to come in and pick him up. Whether that's somebody within MLS or or even back over in Europe, you just there's gonna be plenty of clubs looking at him. I mean, I could see him lacing up for a Premier League team tomorrow and having no problems whatsoever. He he would. He's just got such good quality, and when he plays in this team, he makes the entire team tick. And you know, you lose half your team if you lose Pereira. And um, and as you say, Romulo, it was excellent decision making as well. He uh, he's just getting better game by game. It's uh, there's just some good chemistry. You've just got to you've got to keep that together now. You've got to to do the right thing and pay them and give them a million a year or one point two million a year, whatever it is. A nice pay rise and, and keep him for one more season at least. All right, let's move on. And Chase, you were pretty fired up this game, man. You were, you were getting into a couple of heated debates, uh, yelling at people, making making last-ditch slide tackles to give yourself a, a double yellow. I mean, you were all over the place today. Um, what were your thoughts on the whole VAR fiasco? Because uh, we just have to talk about it really quickly because it's a talking point of the match. But what were your thoughts on the whole? It's a it's a a throw in, and then it's a double yellow penalty, and then then it's offsides. I mean, what were your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it was a very interesting turn of events. Like, I don't think 
honestly, like, I'm not going to lie. There was a second after the penalty was given that I was like looking at my phone, not really paying attention to what happened. And then I just kind of looked up and I saw that an offside was called. It, it was just, it, it all kind of happened. Like, I don't know. It was just weird. Like it's, it's not something that you would expect to see in, in any game. I do think it's kind of innately MLS. Uh, I think it's, it's really interesting because say the play had stood, I do believe that it was a penalty. Like I kind of tweeted something about it when it was going to be AR. Like if you look at it, you know, I, I don't yep. really think he got the ball and I agree. You know, he got kind of in the back of Julian Carranza. Like I definitely think, you know, if it had stood, it would have been a penalty. And I actually kind of thought the offside call was a lot closer than people might initially think. I actually, the, the reason that I kind of have came to this conclusion is I was going to like, somebody was saying that it was like, a blown call basically on Twitter and I was going to respond with a picture of it. And I, I don't know. I'm not very confident. Like I'm not, I think it may be, I don't know. Like it's, we need that software, you know, that yeah, software like, with the with lines the and shit. Yeah, yeah. Like Schlegel's Schlegel's right foot looks like it could be close to keeping on Carranza, but I don't necessarily think it is, but something that, uh, you know, if, if I kind of have like a screenshot pulled up right now, like it almost looks like Breck Shea where the ball is played, like Carranza might, be in line with it like i'm not necessarily saying that he is but it's an interesting kind of you know like i can't really say for sure and also did the referee go back to the monitor to review the offside call because no. you know initially he made just the red card call and then i don't know if something was in his ear or the sideline official spoke to him but yeah he went back and made this offside call and and you know, I, I think that's something that in and of itself would have had to been scrutinized for, for quite a long time before they came to a decision. And, you know, I don't want to give merit to, to insert Miami fans because I, like many people, are not very pleased with a lot of the ways that they conduct themselves. But I think that they might have a little bit of, uh, of something to say where, you know, it's not outrageous to think that maybe they kind of got the short end of the stick here. I don't know if I'm completely wrong there, but, you know, just the screenshot that I have pulled up, there are two scenarios where it looks like Carranza is very close to being onside. To me, when I saw it, I did see the offsides because on your screenshot, is it the one where Beckham, Beckham, oh my gosh, Breck oh, Shea, Beckham not Shea. even close, <laughs> where <laughs> Breck Shea uh, hits the ball or is it the one where they pause it on the feed where it's like, a second after he hits the ball. Yeah. I, like, is the ball I tried, on his foot? No, yeah. I know the one that you're talking about where, like, the initial kind of, like, still image that they were looking at, the ball was maybe, like, a foot and a half off of his foot. I tried to get it to where it looks like it pretty much is the instant that the ball is kind of getting struck. And mm -hmm. to me, it just – it it really does look like Carranza could be on side. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, so I'm not, I'm not even trying time. to be, yeah, well, I'm not even trying to be like kind of hot takey or anything like that. Like, mm -hmm. I think that there is kind of merit to the, the complaint, I guess, that maybe he wasn't offside. All right. Uh, Adam, let me see. Do you think that if we don't surround the ref and like almost stall for time that we get the overturn? I really like that we surrounded the ref. I don't think so uh, for several reasons. I mean, it's it, it's kind of part of the game, and especially the, the, the captain's responsibility almost to play the ref a little bit. Here's why I don't think that it really mattered, though. It, one, uh, Elfath is a questionable referee. I don't think that there's really much influencing him. He's just kind of do, 
going to do what he's going to do. Uh, I mean, being a questionable referee isn't exactly unique among pros ranks. And, and that's kind of the second thing. It's pro pro going to pro, you know, mm-hmm. third of all, it's Orlando city. When have the refs ever been nice to us? You know, and so I don't have any sympathy for Miami fans, first of all, because they don't deserve to be happy. Um, Second of all, they're going to get plenty of friendly pro calls in the future because they're a darling club of MLS. Uh, And uh, yeah, we deserve this one. So I don't really think it changes anything that we surround the refs because they're, they're trained to just basically ignore players. And we've seen countless protests in the past. Uh, in the past of, of, I mean, even this game, there was an instance where uh, Schlegel got a yellow card late, and Miami should have gotten one at the other end for um, that um, Figal challenge on on Pereira. And Schlegel, mm-hmm. as he was getting yellow card, like pointed like over there. Oh, but that one wasn't a yellow card. It's like, yeah, the, the players aren't influencing the refs. I think that um, that notion is. Uh, a bit foolish, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm not complaining. I I have no empathy or sympathy for Miami fans on this one. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Chase just sent the screenshot. I'm looking at it now. I it's a good angle. Maybe his shoulder. It's very close. I'm actually surprised looking at it from this angle and at that still that they called it off. I mean, it's a close one. It's closer than I originally thought, Chase. It's closer than I yeah. originally thought. I mean, I maybe. Think it... Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I think that maybe they could have, could have gone back and at least taken a second look, you know? Like, you know, I'm nothing, I guess, if not unbiased, at least when it comes to talking well, they, about the they, game. They did it, look it, at it a seems... second look. Did, did he go back to the monitor? Like, I, I but, don't remember that. I think with offsides, it's so night and day so black and white that it's like you don't need the the center referee to kind of make that decision because it's mm. you know i think they trust their their uh compatriots to make the right yeah, it's call. not like description here's the thing about that picture though uh mm. shay's cross is shay if you look at the size of breck shay in the foreground versus crons in the background shay's almost twice his size uh <laughs> you're right no, seriously, it, it's just it's perspective, and, and so he's also twice the width. You know what I'm saying? Kranz is clearly off versus versus his defender. I think that's pretty clear. You can see the shade of his boot clearly um, past the yellow boot of the defender. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think that I think because I maybe they had a different TV angle that showed it more clearly offside. I think that if you had the little line things here, do the perspective of the picture. I think there's a good because it looks even here. I think there's a good case to be made that it would be offside, actually. Yeah, I, I'm not necessarily saying that he wasn't or that he was. I just think that it is like very close, like a lot closer than kind of initially thought, at least. Yeah, uh, what I think they were looking at, he's clearly offside. Um, mm-hmm. He's clearly past the 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 line set by the defender. Yeah, his right. And they were. I think there was enough reasonable suspicion that he could be passed the ball to that they decided to overturn it because usually what they're looking at it um it being close is past the defender not to pass the ball. So I think they saw, you know, he's clearly past the defender we can overturn this one. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's it's still level with the ball. I, it it sounds like semantics but this was, you know, ultimately like 
kind of what decided the game. It, it, it's just interesting. It was it was very close, man. All right, uh, let's get into lineup, lying down now that we're kind of done with the game and all the, the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, Daniel, we're going to start with you. All right, um, so lining up, I'll go with I'll go with Chris Mueller. I think he uh, he definitely looked a lot more dangerous and starts showing a lot of the um, quality more consistently. He, he was a stud in this game. I thought he would just um, his work rate was was excellent. He just got himself involved. You know, he covers every blade of grass, and he um, he's just making more more intelligent decisions. Just um, Popping in and out of the center, sort of the inside right channel, and uh, out to the right, he's just he's a dynamo. He's one of those free attacking midfielders, and I think um, Oscar's, you know, starting to figure out how to get the best out of him, which is really good to see. And then, as for the um, lying down, I will go with uh, with Chase. <laughs> All right, um, really, yeah, seriously though. Seriously, Schlegel. Nah, yeah. Seriously, I, I do agree with Schlegel. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, the, okay. I, I was actually going to pick him too. Well, you know, the, the two things I've got to say is that first of all, is that with the offside call, I've seen plenty given to the in favour of the attacker in that instance, and you know, it's kind of like the unspoken rule that the attacker gets the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like. There's enough there as a case for both sides, defence and attack. And you know, if if that ball is not tapped in by Carranza, then Schlegel's given away, not only giving away a penalty, but it's just another tackle. Which, yeah, he has to make a decision. He has to go for it. I get it. But the thing with Schlegel is that he's just a little bit of a hard. You know, he's he seems like a bit of a nutcase. And this whole split personality thing he's got going on with Chase must be messing with him because <laughs> you can't you can't put him in the field. And he, I just don't trust him 100% yet. And we just look, you know, I think like we were talking about that goal earlier. I didn't get to chip in on the goal, but it was a it was a good cross by, by um, uh, what's his name? Um, Pizarro. Pizarro, that's the one. And, uh, you know, Breddybrook, that's a serial we have in England, um, you know, gets a great header on it. But, you know, the ball comes in the box and I just feel like we... We're so vulnerable to crosses that I'm starting to think we need another centre back. We need a top quality centre back. So who in. would you replace out of the two? Honestly, I, I probably yeah. Yeah. I think so, and that's but, not enough. But Janssen's Janssen stand up tactics. I no, like no, no. Janssen. I understand Trust it. Me. I understand uh, it. The, the the defensive positioning on crosses is rough. From him, but his stand-up tackling on transition oh, opportunities uh, is top-notch. I love Janssen, but if you're looking at current form right now, I think Antonio's maybe just a little bit higher. But even then, Carlos is un- untakeawayable for me. Exactly, and you have to remember that if we say you want to replace a player, it doesn't mean I want them out of the club. I want them shipped off on the you know the first boat back to Sweden. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you get Carlos and another and Janssen and those are your three guys fighting for those two spots because competition brings the best out of everyone but it should also improve your penalty area because we just look so vulnerable and um, Schlegel for me is not doing enough to 
to convince me that he's he's the solution either. And that's just it's just you know my observation based off a few games. I just felt that we looked very shaky, and on another night with a different VAR ref, we were down to ten men. You know, and, I have. Yeah, I don't know. Fine. I I have to disagree. I sure. mean, you're again. You're totally allowed to to say uh, you didn't like the his hot headedness. I personally, <laughs> I love his hot headedness. Um, maybe that's just the fan of me, but also it, I think it. And I wrote it on the um, article that I posted this morning that I think part of it just comes from his competitive desire to win, and I love seeing that. That's that's the kind of the narrative stuff that fans like to see, you know, like Juan throws his hands up in the air to hype up the crowd when, when the crowd used to be there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 25,000 fans being there uh, after a, a, a lung busting run. Uh, Rodrigo Schlegel getting in the face of a, of a player who, yes, it wasn't a dive. You know, if it was a dive, I'd understand it. It wasn't a dive. He, he fouls him. Uh, but I also said, you know, what is he supposed to do in that situation? I think he has to go and try and stop, stop the, uh, the shot. Because sometimes those aren't called, and and that's just a fact. Those, mm-hmm. those there are plenty of moments where both players are going for the ball. Of a uh, a player gets a shot off or gets gets near the ball, and he gets tackled from behind, and the ref just never calls it. VAR never overturns it. Um, I I I personally liked his performance. I thought he was good on the ball. Um, yes, gets a yellow card, hot headed, yells at the ref. Okay, maybe I need to watch him again on the goal, but I wasn't gonna go as far as to say line up. But I, for me personally, not not far down enough to say line down. Fair play. That's, that's you know we are progressive. I mean, you know we are all, all four of us see the game in different ways. Um, and I just, you know, I just expect my centre backs maybe just to be a little more more dominant and a little more calm. That's that's really what I look for. In a centre back, if it was if it was my choice. Okay, all right. Uh, Chase, you next. Line up, line down. Oh, uh, so line up. Sorry, uh, line up. I'm gonna probably go Andreas Perea. Uh, you know, like he had a typical performance for them. He looked really good on the ball. He was he was tidy with his passes, and you know, just just simple things like that. But ultimately, I think you know, Breck Shea had an opportunity to score his second. And then he kind of came in with uh, a last ditch intervention that ultimately saved three points. Like I, I, uh, and you know, I'm actually probably going to talk about him later. My lying down is going to be Pedro, but let's say personally, like, like I don't think he really could have done much better on the, the goal, but I think tonight there are a couple instances where he was a little bit shaky, particularly in terms of just kind of collecting the ball, you know, like that that time that Robinson was was got got in behind and he kind of was a bit late on him. I think he maybe should have cleaned that up initially. Like I rate him as a keeper. Uh just sometimes he's a little bit you know, you know, with his hand or collecting the ball is, is a little bit of a question mark sometimes. His and, handling and, is if Yeah. And this this game, you know, he didn't he wasn't on it like he is a majority of games, like particularly like in the Portland game, he made some great saves and, and just, just off the kind of the return. He's, he's been good. Like there, there have been some criticisms, but this game he wasn't really called to action and, and he didn't have any, you know, fantastic save that we've come to expect out of him. And, and I don't know if he would have been able to stop Breck Shea three yards out from uh, his goal and, and Andreas Pereira was there to, 
you know, saved three points for us. I think like, like he was, you know, if he doesn't have that intervention, like, like, you know, like I said, I question if, if we would have been able to walk out of this game with the win. And it, that's something that I like to see out of somebody who's 19 years old and his future with the club is still a little bit of a question mark. Cause I know he's technically on loan and whether or not we'll be able to kind of bring him here permanently. But I mean, I definitely think that he should be like, I don't think he's like, you know, positionally, he's not going to be like the Pereira, Pereira my bad replacement, uh, you know, when it comes time for him to retire or leave the club or whatever. But just, you know, when he's 22, 23, there's no reason he can't be like a, like Sebas Mendes is to us right now, like that kind of player. If, if, if not, he's, you know, he's even a little bit more tidier on the ball at the very least, kind of if you compare where they are in their career. So, yeah, Andres Pereira, I've been pretty impressed with him all throughout the season and, and this game as well. Like I thought he had some some great moments and, you know, a big moment that helps walk away with the win. And, yeah, like I said, Pedro Glace going to be lying down. Uh, you know, he's a great keeper. Just that one aspect of his game, I want him to clean up. Like I don't really think that we've been punished for it quite yet. But even in the MLS's back tournament, there were some times where, you know, if a ball is kind of hit hard on the ground, uh, he's not always able to collect it. And that can pose a dangerous threat to us. So, yeah, you know, great guy, a great keeper. You know, I'm sure he's a great guy as well, but just something that I want to kind of see cleaned up. And it was fairly evident throughout this game, I think. Two things on this. First, Perea, I 100% agree, is more of a Mendez-type player. I think he's a Mendez replacement. Uh, I think the club idea is to move Mendez on this this upcoming transfer window uh, after the season's over. And I think that's smart. It's the time to sell. He's young. Don't he you, can command don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. He can he can bring a fantastic <laughs> feat. And Andres <laughs> Perea, you bring him in for a little bit cheaper, then you have money to play with to get a DP in. A, an attacking Ooh. DP. And Andres Honestly. Perea, yes, he's younger. Yes, there he is is not as good as Mendez, but he can do the job. You have Junior Urso there. You still have Yuri. This is the kind of turnover you need in a squad if you are to compete. So I love the idea of bringing in Andres Perea with the option to buy. I think he's a great player. He is a player that is very good from deep. I don't like him playing at the 10. He can do mm -hmm. a job. He can run and and, and um, work hard and, and, and uh, press defenses, but I really like his technical ability from deep. And he won't be, I think Mendez has increased in his technical ability and, and able to keep the ball a lot this offseason and during the season. And his passing looks crisp. His passing looks very good. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy with his performance tonight and very happy with his performances overall this season. A lot better than last season where a lot of us were pretty high on him until the end where he kind of tired out. Uh, I think Andres Perea has the ability and the potential to kind of have a same trajectory there. So Adam, I know you, you're not happy with that, but you got to agree that selling Mendez when he's at the, the, yeah, the peak of his years. price tag. It, no, because then he's an extra year older. Oh, whatever. He's like, What's he's the, like 23. Do you guys remember the price tag that he was kind of like, I think low, there was right? some transfer interest. What was it? It was low, wasn't it? Really? I like 8 million. Yeah, he's yeah, 23. Like oh, but that was just a rumor. I don't even trust that. Yeah. You could sell about twenty five for loads of cash. Yeah, but the only thing that I, you know, just as a general kind of like rule of thumb, seven years of prime after that, I think that like you want to sell a player a year early rather than a year late. You know, like if we are able to he get twenty three years old. Yeah, but like you never really know when that is. Like, like we might look back and be like, you know, we could have kept on to him for a year. 
but by the same margin, like you never know when a player is going to plateau. And, and as he gets older, like, like yeah, I don't think he will, but... plateaus. Yeah. I mean, but, but then that's, uh, that's, that's a risk that you take with any player that you bring in, but and, uh, yeah, but, I mean, but if, look, if we need Mendes to have plateaus right now, then, then a, you could still sell him. He's not going to B, you could yet. still sell him for pretty much the same amount in two years. If he's still this good, you know, yeah, I just I don't know. I just but then you, prefer you lose the the potential, like the the potential kind of for over added what on $2 million dollars. How much? Oh, over two million dollars that MLS is going to take like sixty six percent out of or whatever they do. Yeah, I mean that's the fee that yeah. uh, Hoesca want or uh, sorry Her- Her- Heracles Hercules want Heracles. for uh, Vanderwater. Uh, but how much are we seeing of that extra two mil? Uh, not much, you know. I, but, I think I think we but get. But then, about if you get less money, MLS is still taking one and a half mil. Here's so what I'm we saying. are seeing that two mil. Here, here's what I'm saying. Okay, so I'm gonna go my lineup. It's Sebas Mendes. Hold on, Shocker, hold on, hold on. I know, right? Hold on, hold on. I had another Ooh. thing I wanted to say. Okay, no, we're, yeah, we're we're continuing really this quickly, really quickly, really quickly, really quickly. I want to hear. Because I Chase said Galese lying down. I just wanted to hear our listeners' thoughts on if they agreed with Adam that it, you know, wasn't savable, or if Galese could have saved that ball. That was it. So go ahead. Sebastian okay. Mendez is your lion. Blaze Mantuidi sucks because Sebas Mendez. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, hop on. Hop on. You want me to address the uh, the last comment about Blaise Matuidi? Or? Uh, you know, you know, I'm joking. Okay, I was good. just about to say that, you know, the the same people that knock Blaise Matuidi, all right, are the same ones creaming their pants at signing a Watford under twenty three striker. You know, I see it on Twitter. First of all, Gavin Gavin made a similar joke the night of the game. Yeah, look on Twitter. No, the funny the thing is, is that in all seriousness, I mean, getting Blaise Matuidi on a TAM deal is terrific business for any club. You know, Wait, he, I mean. He's not a DP? No. No, he's a TAM. It's a, it's a brilliant piece Miami. of business. So oh, yeah. going to be the last DP. Okay, this is, this is a long shot, but but any of y'all listeners know that video of that Alabama guy going, I hate Tennessee. I fucking hate Miami. I understand, and I, I can accept that, but... Blaise Matuidi, if he signed up for Orlando on a TAM deal, they would be, you'd think oh, would be yeah. statues of, of Lewis. Orgies Monty. everywhere. They would be, or, they wouldn't just be <laughs> yeah. orgies with the statues. Okay, but... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So, Adam, go ahead and finish your points. Scarves would be getting used. I, I, I did. Blaise Matuidi sucks. No. Um, Sebas Mendes, he did a good job against Matuidi. He didn't, Matuidi wasn't able to contain him. He showed extremely good passing vision and range and awareness. And you know how to get Sebas Mendes to stop doing those stupid back heels? You fucking play him more, and he'll stop doing it because he'll know when it's time to do that and when it's not. And and he contained his little tricks to the right times to do them. And, and he was just a game that I thought showed the maturity and progression of him, and especially in a game without Aero Rossell. We didn't really seem to miss Rossell that much. Because Mendes was kind of playing that role while also getting more advanced. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't have his scoring boots, but you know he's D mid. You can't really expect it of him. 
I that, think, um, sorry, Adam, I think Russell would have kind of been suffocated in this game, to be honest with you. A little bit, I agree. Yeah, uh, like, with, I, th- without... I think this game called for more movement than Russell mm-hmm. is capable of, and that lended very well to an Urso Mendes partnership. Yeah, I like, I like Russell, like, when he plays as that, like, lone pivot in front of the defense. I like Russell a lot yeah. for that role, but I just felt with the way Miami was set up that. Um, and. and... Uh, a brief episode of Adam was right. Haven't I been calling for us to see Urso Mendez for like a while now? And wasn't Anybody it great? Anybody could have called that. Okay, but I've been harping on that for months. To be honest, Adam's dying by his sword, Gavin. He's got it right. So let's let's give Adam his due. Whatever. Um... And, and so um, uh, I'm gonna steal from Cleon a little bit. Shout out, yo! No Mendez, no party. Where you know I love Higita. Mendez is now a similar type of player for me. And this is so Mendez is 23 years old. If we accept that um, soccer players have their prime into their early 30s, so we'll, we'll call it 32 is the end of a prime. If we sell him, if we keep him for two more years, we get two years of what will be one of the best D mids in MLS, center mids even in MLS. That is an integral part. I mean, you see, you see what a guy like Diego Chara can do for Portland. I. He, the Diego, Diego Chara just destroyed us in, in that championship game. You want to give that that up for the hope that Andres Perea becomes the same thing after he's just now developing into what he is? No, get two years out of him. He's going to be worth the same he is now, if not more when he's 25, because he'll have seven years of prime left. No one's giving any player other than like a world-class star that they just went through gobs of money at it, but they're not giving Sebas Mendez a seven-year deal. It, so so you still got a full contract in the prime, whether you sell him at the, at the end of this season or whether you sell him two years from now. He's not going to get worse. I, I think that is extremely low risk. You have Oscar Pereja coaching him. He's young. He's the captain of the Ecuadorian national team. What, you think he's going to get worse? No, he's getting better. He's going to yeah. get continue to get better his price tag is going to go up especially if he brings a championship whatever if it's a cup championship if it's if it's a supporter shield if it's an almost cup championship it, he's his price tag is only going to go up and yes i agree you want to be if you have talent you want to sell them and if he gets antsy that's a totally different situation if he if he thinks that it's time for him to move to a bigger club god heaven forbid we sell him an mls i will flip shit if we do that but if he wants to go to europe and, there are and, no uh, bigger clubs in mls oh true true well i didn't say a bigger club i just said mls if he wants to go to a bigger club in europe and, and that's that's his goal and he and he wants to make that move good for him go have your career won't stop you we'll get a good fee for you if he's open to staying it would be stupid to sell him are you fucking kidding me Andres You're Perea? telling me if some relegation Serie A team comes in for a $10 million bid, you're keeping him for an extra year when you yeah. can use that money to to bring in a, a real offensive okay. threat to, to replace a, a, an aging Nani? Here's the thing. We only ha- we're only spending money on two DPs right now. We should already have that money. We should. It, it, I we're think tied up if- in contracts, though. Yeah, whatever. Dom Dwyer's off at the end of the season. Use his money. It, it, I think it is a failure of ownership if we resort to selling our young players just as they get good. You know, 
not even let them have that true breakout. So like he's having the season before the breakout season right now. He's having the season where it's like, oh, he's getting really good. Next year, he's going to be an MLS best 11 type player. This is not when you sell him. You sell him after he has like one or two best 11 years. It, It is a failure of ownership if we can't get that beginning of the prime seasons out of those players. And if we're forced to sell them early because that's cutting into our profits and it's cutting into the quality of the team. Because then you have Andres Perea who just has to go through the growing pains that we just watched two years of Sebas Mendes go through. Mm. And, and you want to do that again? No. Junior Urso's at 31-32. You replace him with Andres Perea. I, I, think, I think you sell after one year of MLS's uh, I'm, oh my gosh, I almost said MLS is back best 11. Just MLS best 11. Because that's when Europe, are, Europe is looking over here. They're going to see him. He is at a young age. I'm sure. If, I think if, the older he gets, the longer he's on a contract that we're not going to renew, his price starts to go down. If, if we get a best 11 year out of him and someone wants to spend 10 million plus, fine. But before okay. that, I think it's a waste to sell him right now. And I don't, I don't think anyone's coming in with. I don't think a relegation side in Syria is coming in with ten million right now. It, I can see him just, in Syria in a couple of years. I really can. Yeah, in, in two He's years. In two years. It, I just don't. I hate. I hate seeing. You know when you get. It's like a shiny new toy, and then, you like you, you start play so. You ever start getting good at a sport and maybe it requires some equipment and then you like, or getting good at like a musical instrument, like guitar or something. And, and you start getting good enough and then you just, uh, you want to upgrade to like that next level. And so you buy like a nice bat or like a nice glove or, or a nicer guitar or, or, or piano or food or, or whatever. And then someone just takes it away from you just as you're, learning to appreciate it and learning how to use it a little more. And then you, they hand you that beginner one again, say, okay, now, now do it again. Now, now, now get better on this beginner one again, and then we'll give you this nicer one back. And maybe that was a little disjointed, but that's kind of what it would feel like if we sold Sebas Mendes right now, we've gone through the growing pains of developing him and we're not even get to reap the reward. Like if we, his if fee we, is the reward, but what, What's the guarantee that that next? I mean, look at Atlanta. What's the guarantee the next player is as good? There's none. And I get, I get when you scout game, like them, yes. I get that the game is is develop, sell, develop, sell, develop, sell. Reap the reap the on field rewards of your development just a little bit before you sell because you can afford to. Because, I mean, what's the point if your team's not getting any better? I, I get you say you get that DP winger or whatever. You still have to have a solid midfield. If you get bullied in the midfield, it doesn't matter what Nani's going to do. It doesn't matter what a hypothetical Florimel come on would do. If you're getting bullied in the midfield, you're losing every game. We've seen that happen to Orlando City. And and so I... And, and this is why I couldn't stand to see us just let Higuita go. And, and we're lucky that we happen to replace him with some great midfielders. But you let a guy like Higuita and now we have another one and you, and I get, I get that, that little bit of PTSD there where you want to make sure you get a fee for him. Like we should have made sure we got a fee for Higuita, but also 
you just want to have good players. If we win MLS Cup at the end of the season, so whoever, I don't care. But I want to, it's also kind of win with the core, you know? Don't just recycle for the sake of recycling. You're trying to build a team here. And we have an integral cog of the team like that, like Sabas Mendes is developing into. Try to win with that core because chemistry is a thing too. You don't want to just mess up that chemistry for just for that cycle of rotation, develop, sell, develop, sell. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a much more in-depth team building philosophy than just straight, this is the correct financial decision we make it seem. Yeah, so. well, just really quickly before you go on to your lying down, uh, we kind of you know went really long on that point. But in, in case I'm, it wasn't clear, I love Sebas Mendes. Yes, we all know. Uh, very clear. I I was on the I want Urso to start over Mendes uh, camp for a while. Um, but these last few performances uh, from Urso and Mendes both, and I know that each game is different and each player's strengths are gonna gonna be good for different games and different play styles that we're going to come up against. But Mendes for me has to be in on the field nine games out of 10. I mean, he has really risen a lot this season in, in my eyes in terms of his quality on the ball and all that. And yeah, I mean the fact that Urso was a, a very, you know, was a starting player for a team as big as Corinthians. And then he comes here and, you know, he can't even, you know, he can't see the field, but, but for me, Mendez has been the better player. That that just says that just says something about how good Mendez is, and and you know how important he is to this team. So go ahead and do your line down. My line down is, and I think for the the so we touched on our defensive weakness being dealing with crosses, both on set pieces and just in the run of play. My line down is kind of the center back pairing. And I think they were very good at dealing with everything except for crosses, but on the crosses, there seems to be a lack of communication and they seem to let chaos get the better of them at times. And Brekshay honestly should have had a brace there if it weren't for Andres Perea's last ditch effort. And uh, I think that sometimes in the chaos of crosses, they let a runner just sneak by them and get the better of them. And, and it, it seems to happen more often than it should. And I'm going to throw a theory out. Or uh, First, I'm going to ask a question. Do we know if either Schlegel speaks Portuguese or Antonio Carlos speaks Spanish? I would guess no. I, I mean, Carlos so. may be on the Spanish? Yeah, that's that would be my guess. And well, those two languages are pretty similar, aren't they? They are pretty similar, but here's here's the, another thing. So, um, so I, point, one of my though. co-workers... So one of my coworkers is from Venezuela, and he he speaks English, but it's not great. He speaks Spanish very fluently. I mean, he's a native Spanish speaker, and uh, and so when we're trying to communicate in the kitchen, especially during a rush, he'll say something in English, and it won't make sense because his brain is processing it in Spanish, and it comes out with the English words, but the the Spanish like syntax, structure, and accent. The I a. A, have, a high volume kitchen rush is a similarly chaotic environment to to calling a defense in soccer, and it can be difficult to overcome. And it, it gets to the point sometimes where I just try to speak to him in Spanish because it's just easier that way sometimes. And trying to parse languages slows down that communication by precious like half a second, and I think that could potentially. Maybe they just don't have 
signal, especially with the rotation that's happened the past few weeks in the pairings. Maybe they just don't have like an established singles signals in one language that they all have down pat that they can have those communications. Uh, and, and and it's it's almost like you have to make those signals into your native language and speak it fluently without thinking about it. Because like it, say we're all playing and we're just yelling at each other in English. We don't think about the words that are coming out. We just say them. That's not the case with with these center backs who all speak different native languages, and I don't I think don't speak each other's languages. They have to establish basically a new form of communication, and and have that process at the same speed as if Carlos was speaking Portuguese, Schlegel was speaking Spanish, and Janssen was speaking Swedish. Plus, and, you know, the chemistry helps, and these two have yeah. not really played together. Exactly, and the constant the rotation and injuries, it just it hasn't been great. And so I think that I think that has we've seen it manifest itself in the issues we've had in those chaotic situations where communication becomes extremely important, especially dealing with crosses when you're trying to defend blind and you're relying on someone else to give you directions on where to go. So I think my line down is is defensive communication between the center backs. Hmm. That that's we've been disagreeing a lot on this episode. Uh, I'll just go straight into it. My lineup was gonna be Carlos. I thought individually, uh, I like clarify. your point. Let me clarify. I think Carlos had. I think actually both of them had solid moments. But I think Carlos had an excellent game uh, individually. And in the run of play defense, not dealing with cross strap pieces, he was excellent. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I like your point on the communication and with the crossing and stuff like that. Yes, brilliant point there. Uh, but Carlos individually, line up. Uh, what a center back we've got. He, the, uh, I, I don't know if you guys were watching on ESPN Plus, probably not. Uh, Miguel Gallardo said he's going to make a compilation of all of the uh, karate overhead kicks that he made make on his interceptions because he made like three of them throughout the match uh and he was making good stand-up tackles he did get dribbled past by uh robbie robinson in the box and that was a little nerve-wracking uh and then he did get kind of rinsed by lewis morgan so there, there were moments for him in this game but overall i liked his performance again and the the reports coming out uh last month that we can get him for less than the 2.2 agreed on option to buy because um, Palmeiras are struggling financially and they are willing to take anything over, you know, a million, 1.5 million, something like that. I think that makes it even more important for us to bring him in because that that helps us bring uh, him in him in as a as a TAM, not a DP, because if it's around 2.2 million plus you look at whatever his salary is, if it's over that 530,000, you're looking at you know, a, a DP player that takes too much time to buy down, or you, I don't think you can buy it down. Uh, so now we have the opportunity to bring him in as a Tam, him and Janssen have, have a good partnership and, you know, we, we can have that partnership for years to come, two or three years to come. I know Daniel said he wants to see a new center back. If, if the things continue the way they are, and that doesn't mean Janssen has to leave the club either. And we could bring potentially bring in a better center back than Janssen to, uh, compliment carlos but i like their partnership at the moment i think they they bounce off each other really well they have good chemistry Janssen again on the on the ground uh stand-up tackler brilliant and carlos he can do the tackling and uh very good in the air uh 
just with his movement and his height overall. So he individually lion up. Lion down. I'm kind of looking around the squad and it's a tough one now. Uh, I guess. I guess. Hmm. <laughs> um, do you guys you have any ideas? Smith. I wasn't. I'm, I'm not saying Kyle Smith. No, I thought he did. I think he did all right. He he's just even. He's not line up or lying down. Had a, I mean, had a bad giveaway it, in the first half, but it's a win in which most of the team played pretty well. So yeah. I, I don't lose one. Urso, maybe? Would you say Urso or no? Nah? No, no, no. He had he had a few uh, good uh, combo runs going forward, and, and right. he, was, he was solid in possession too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I really, I really, I'm looking around the squad. I I cannot form an opinion on anybody to say lion down. I really can't. So I'm sorry, guys. Bad content, very bad content, but it is what it is. We Ooh. went. Yeah, I know. We went Ooh. really. Lion down is my LFAF. Yeah, there we go. That's my lion down. Red card for Ooh. Robbie Ooh. Robinson. Ooh. Ooh. Um, yeah, for pro. Uh, second yellow for Reyes multiple times. Um, Figal should have had a yellow on the pull down for Nani, which that's not a big deal. We scored off of it, whatever. Uh, but he, I think he gets a yellow card later in the game. Uh, no, he doesn't. I was wrong. Okay, but yeah, uh, overall, Elfaf lying down. There we go. We went really long on that first part, so we're going to go short on the second. Uh, hopefully, you guys are enjoying the content so far. We will be right back with a couple questions right after this. All right, and we're back to answer a couple questions. Uh, like like I said before, we went long on part one, so part two will be a bit shorter. We have a good question here from at Spencer Beatrice, but the, th- the E at the end of Beatrice is actually a three, and this is on Twitter. Spencer says, well, since we are linked to a Dutch winger, uh, Sylvester Vanderwater, that is who it is, uh, of Heracles in the Netherlands, how do you think he, he will fit in if he comes to Orlando? So I'm going to leave this open-ended because I have not watched tape on him. I have not heard anything about him. Have any of you guys heard anything about the player we're linked with? He's got a cool name. You're just, yeah. You're just chatting about that fan that came in and, and spoke to you. Yeah, I think I think you are the most informed about this. Yeah, guy. honestly. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was talking about seeing him on the field, so... When I posted the rumor that I saw on Twitter uh, from a page that I I trust, I trust pretty well, actually. Um, They are right on stuff pretty early on. A fan of Heracles messaged me, uh, funnily enough, and I'll just kind of read the conversation real quick. Um, Sylvester's not going to Orlando. He has contract till 2021. Club has an option. Uh, Heracles doesn't want him to leave because he is the best attacker at the club. I said, I didn't realize there was an option year. Do you think the club will let him go if they receive a decent fee for him? Because, you know, COVID. 
And he said, I don't think so. Again, he's the best attacker after they sold some player. But apparently another club in Europe, Utrecht, is also interested in his services. And he then went on to say, if Heracles sells uh, Vanderwater, they need uh, the buying club needs to pay a price of $2 million or more. Uh, this is coming from a fan, so it's obviously not 100% uh, accurate. But, you know, being a fan, they know more about their club than we do. I said, I think we have the financial capabilities to buy him at that price. Uh, he said, also, he is 23. He is young, so he might want to go to America. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, uh, if they want to buy Sylvester, they need to pay much more than their last offer, which he said was 600,000 euros, which when you do the math is about $713,000. So we could potentially raise the price to the asking price would be $2 million. Uh, and if I were to do the calculation, I guess that doesn't matter because we're talking dollars. No, 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 no. So 2 million euros is 2.37 million dollars. So we're actually paying a lot of money there. Uh, yeah, I... In Depends terms on how of, good he is. What? Depends how good he is. Yeah, depends how good he is. Go ahead, Chase. Real fast. I uh, the only reason that I know this is because Luca Delatore, like a former Fulham player and an American, like he went to Heracles actually, and I looked up like highlights of the game and I I just kind of put this together. I, I I saw like like he was the one that stood out, if you know what I'm saying. Sylvester Vanderwater, and like take that with a grain of salt. Obviously, I saw like a two minute compilation video on Twitter, but. You know, he scored. Luca De La Torre actually assisted his goal of that game, and, and he was kind of doing well coming from the wing, and they were looking up together. Like, he honestly looks very similar to Chris Mueller. Like, he, he has a tendency to drift wide, just once again, from the little kind of small sample size that I saw. Like, he looks pretty decent. Like, he kind of looks like just pure competition for Chris Mueller. That's the only input I got to offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, look, we have... Uh, you're a you're a, a, a couple Europeans, right? Dom Dwyer's English and uh, Janssen. Janssen. He's obviously Swedish. Um, that's one thing I'm kind of nervous Nani. about. You know, well, oh yeah, Nani Portuguese, De Joao Martinho. Okay, that that much much that makes me feel a lot more better about that. Javier was born in Spain. Okay, yeah, much much better because I, think I was culturally thinking they're a bit different though. You know what I'm saying? Who, the Netherlands or Spain? It's still just, Europe. Or just anything. Well, yeah, oh, actually, I, Spain and the Netherlands are very close together. Yeah. Like, geographically. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. But yeah, I was worried about the, the kind of European versus South American influence at the club, and that makes me feel better uh, about that. Um, so yeah, again, we have no idea how he will fit in, but if he is, like, like Chris Mueller, like... Uh, chase mentioned that he kind of sort of saw then yeah why not imagine having chris on the left where he's played pretty decent and then you have vanderwater on the right i mean i guess so that, that means no nani but <laughs> context clues a little bit so if we they their original bid was uh, 700k basically uh, which means they don't see him as a dp player i don't think unless they're just gonna pay him dp money and just not pay a big fee um, 
I mean, maybe that's like on the edge of like DP tramp range, but they're not going to give him like a million dollars a year and then like slap the first DP offer is always it. low though. The first offer, especially with with especially with COVID, you're always going to go low and see if they're willing to accept uh, lower because didn't we, of didn't we pay like financial. Just, didn't we pay just like just over a million for Sabos? I have no idea what we paid for Sabos. We, we paid we, just like, under a million for Urso. I think we pay a little over a million for Sabos, and we're not paying either of them DP wages. And so if their if their target fee was in that range, I can't imagine that they were trying to pay DP wages for this guy either. Maybe Tam. Uh, obviously, attackers are a little different. They get paid a little more. Uh, I don't know if he'd be a DP. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I don't know if they view Vanderwater as a DP type player, especially since he's young. Um, since he he doesn't have extreme. I mean, Heracles is a a decent club to be buying from, but it's not like it's not like he's coming from you know Sporting like Nani was. Uh, yeah. He doesn't have that that pedigree when he's he's immediately going to come in and command touches and command playing time uh and so you're basically looking at competition here you're looking at nani leaving next year he's probably going to retire or go to like his boyhood club or something or basically he's going to retire after this year or next year and and he's probably going to end up rotating more towards the end of his career when he starts to break down and so you're looking to bring a guy that and that's going to replace nani and and work well with chris mueller Mm -hmm. um Really, you're in this. Why I've been saying that we need a uh, either a DP or a Tam winger to be our next big acquisition. Where and I, this guy would qualify, I think. You know, just going by what I mean, the guy said like, oh, he's the best attacker at our club. That uh, uh, Chase said he popped out in like limited viewing. Just going off context clues, this guy seems to fit the bill. And obviously, if Rico and Muzi like him, then they've got better eyes than any of us. It depends on how much they like him and, and what they see him as. That's going to depend on if they're going to spend the money to get the deal done. If they don't think that he's a DP, they're not going to spend $2 million on him. I just don't see it. They're more financially sound than that, and Flavio's not waving money around like that. So, All right, yeah, that's a good point. Don't I think you're Yeah, I think that they were kind of almost, almost all out on Coman. You know, if the the reported fees were true, they saw him as a player that was going to come in and really, really, really light the league on fire. And that's why they were willing to spend that money. Whereas if they see this player, they don't think he's going to light the league on fire, maybe, or they're just not as confident in that. They're not they're not going to do that. Plus, you know, every single deal is different. They were looking at Coman or Florino Coman as like our version of Miguel Almiron. Yeah, something like that, which is completely different than this guy. Yeah, um, we got a couple fun ones here at the end. Uh, at Nemen Grodna on Twitter uh, says, "What did Schlegel say to Carranza?" So let's go round table. I'll start with you, Chase. What did Schlegel say to Carranza? Well, well Chase is uh, just going to tell us. Yeah, oh yeah, he he was right he, he was right there. I'll tell you that it was Spanish, and I can't say it on on air. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, what did Schlegel say to Carranza? He said to him, um, when all is said and done, I know where we can get some really good arepas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Adam. Uh, I'll go a little bit of Spanish. Come here, that. Ooh. I was Whoa. thinking $6 million fraud. I think that's what he called him. He called him a $6 million fraud. Ooh, I like it. 
Um, I can't believe uh, I, I think they mine's spent a that little much more likely though. Probably yes, yes, most definitely. Especially because uh, you know he ate shit in the dirt, <laughs> big time. Uh, here, here we we have one from at Bucketman nineteen eighty two. Oh, oh, that's you, Daniel. Uh, it says, would you possibly? Now, because it's Daniel, I think I have to do my I have to do my British accent accent as it's coming from him. He says. <clears throat> What do you think of the pedestrianization of the Norwich city center? Yikes. <laughs> so, Daniel, what do you think? This is not the same accent you did earlier. <laughs> close. That was a good one, though. Huh? Nothing like falsetto there. I told, I told Adam that I would do a British accent today. Uh, because I did a horrible British accent earlier. So I think that was pretty good, right? Yeah, it was all right. If you went out into downtown Orlando with that accent, you would have all the girls falling all over you. So you did okay. <laughs> oh, it's not realistic enough for people to tell me to go back where I came from? No. Nah, <laughs> nah, the, the people like me, they, they look at us with disgust, but people like you with that, you sound like you're from London, so you'd, you'd be fine. Mm. Uh, now, to be clear, the girls in downtown Orlando would be falling just like kind of over you and around you because they're all drunk off their asses. But, you know, <laughs> it would take me at work down there. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, Adam, you get the last one. It just came in, saved by the bell. Uh, Ooh, yes. At Claw, C L A U, Pania 2. Should we build a statue of, per- of Maurizio or is it too soon? Oh, it's too soon. Here's the thing about statues. Elian just unveiled one for David Beckham, like pretty recently, like within the past few years. That's David Beckham in LA. Statues are reserved for champions. Mm. And uh, so. So I you're saying, say like, at the end of this season, he, we're building the statue? <laughs> for Preha, sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, if Preha comes in his first season, wins MLS Cup, statue i don't think i don't think that you can point to any one player and say it was just them you know the uh the new picture going around of among of the among us emergency meeting thing uh i don't think so i thought you were a nerd i am never mind never mind i work a fuck ton fair enough never mind i'm not gonna say my joke well, let's say it. maybe the audience appreciates it. All right, so Among Us is a video game about um, basically there's 10 players and two of them are people who are called imposters who are trying to kill their crewmates and they're on a ship. Oh, and I've heard about this. I've been meaning to play it. Yes. I have not played it yet. It looks really fun. It's on the computer. And basically the two imposters are trying to kill the eight crewmates. And obviously the crewmates don't know who the imposters are and you're all on a microphone and you're trying to figure it out. And it causes a lot of arguments and, and a lot of suspicion and blah, blah, blah. Well, there is a picture of when you can call a meeting, you can call an emergency meeting. It is the color of the, the, the crewmate who called the meeting smashing a button. And so I was, the thing that popped into my mind was when Adam said, build a statue. If he wins is when we win it, smashing the button saying, build the statue. That's what went in my mind. It's not as funny now that I explain it. Wow. If you have to explain, that's yeah. true. If you have to explain it, it's just not funny. And that's why I don't want to. So, thank you for your question. <laughs> um, I guess the one law, one drinking clause here is statues are for champions. 
fair enough. All right, I think that is it. We went very long or today. Tattoo. Hashtag make Adam get the tattoo. Make Adam get the tattoo. I like that hashtag. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about on the game? Anything that I did not bring up that you were thinking, oh, I oh, really wanted to kind of Vice touch City. on this? Fuck Vice City. Oh, we do need to talk about that. that video. Oh, yes. The video, the Jorge Moss and David Beckham were throwing it. beer everywhere. They're generally they're them celebrating after a loss. I mean, that, that was the saddest one. Can you, like, okay, anyone who's ever been to Orlando City game, the, the mood in the stadium after a loss. Ain't no one celebrating after that. Can you imagine being so not invested in your team that you are able to generate that celebration after you lose? I Just said it was like, I said it was like that younger sibling's um, syndrome where you have to over overcompensate to get the attention. And like, I'm a younger sibling, so I know what that feels like. And they're 100% doing it. They're, it's they're like, trying to get clicks and they're trying to get likes. There's no way they were happy with last night's result. Oh, no. It's like they're doing everything Atlanta does, like the fan base, except worse. Yeah. Like they're they're even bad at being Atlanta. And Atlanta's just awful to begin with. And they're worse. They did not hold themselves in a positive light at all. And hopefully they get banned. I really hope Vice City gets banned. I hope that entire supporter group gets banned and I hope their criminal charges pressed because well, look, we've had our bad apples too. Let's, let's oh, be real here. Absolutely. We shouldn't be a whole supporter group should not, um, a whole fan base should not be banned. No, not the whole fan base, just the supporter group. I think oh yes. Yes. Banned. I mean, if, if the supporter group is posting it and they are accepting of it, yeah. then yes. And they, they were, it's not only that video, like there were multiple reports from in the stadium that they were throwing beer at other fans during the game. Yeah. It, Awful. It's unacceptable behavior. You cannot do that. You just can't do that. And especially someone in a suit who is working, who is getting paid to do this, who is not there of their own accord. Ugh. I think that's criminal charges for me. That That's battery and assault. And it's I, on I would, video. Yeah, and it's on I would press charges. Bro, the only thing that, like, I just think it's so weird that their club has existed for 11 professional games and they're acting this way. Like, if it's like the Bushwhackers for Millwall or something, it's still not great, but at least I can be like, you know, they've been fans their whole life. This is just how they act. But, like, this is, they're trying to make this like their identity. Like, they're just, uh, they're a group in a club without an identity and they're, just kind of forcing this like I don't know hooliganism thing on this and it just it doesn't even feel like genuine if if that makes sense like they're just trying to be something that they're not almost and yeah it's just frustrating and they've sold themselves out to Heineken already before they even played one game it's just yeah they suck man they're they're terrible just overall a a bad organization from the top down when talking about on the pitch, when talking about off the pitch, you can talk about the squad building. You can talk about the the stadium. Uh, didn't they clean up a whole entire area for a stadium and then they just couldn't build it there? Yep, because yeah, there's like asbestos. Because what? Yeah, the, it was the entire place was poisonous. Oh yeah, right. I mean, poison gas thing. Just, a bad organization that 
<laughs> needs to step up, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna enjoy it while it lasts. Um, that'll do it from us, though. Uh, please do not hesitate to let us know your thoughts on our thoughts on the Inter Miami match. Don't forget to leave a five star review. Oh. Do the survey link in the description. Who wanted I have to say one something? More thing. Okay. I have one more thing. Oh, of course. Official proposal for the name of the Orlando Miami rivalry should be the Spring Break Derby. No. Miami loses a wet t shirt contest every single time. Fair enough. Yep. You <laughs> saved it. Because at first I was like, that's oh a gosh. stupid name. <laughs> it's a little bit better. There we go. That's Daniel, where can our listeners find you at? In the, in the pub as usual. Okay. Uh, at Buckerman1982. Ha. Chase. You can find me on Twitter at BalmasOCSC and on Instagram at Chase W. Crowley. At Rodrigo Schlegel. Adam. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, if I ever get around to posting on Instagram at Kosher Taco Truck. If you're a first-time listener for some reason, welcome. This is our podcast. Uh, I'm at LionsBlog1 if you want to find me. I never, ever, ever say that, so I feel like I should start saying it a little bit. Um, write blogs on lines, www.lionsblog.org. Check them out. There's a new one about the Inter-Miami match. Uh, and yeah, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Here, Nani gets in behind. Here's Nani with a chip. It's 1-1.